0: Gracious Father, You who are our sovereign God, You know the beginning and the end. You are Alpha and Omega. Lord, You knew, Lord, that we would need a Savior. Lord, because of our sin and because of our ways, thank You, Lord, for loving us so much that You sent Your Son, Jesus. That, God, you yourself became man and dwelt among us. Father, continue to bless us during our time. We pray for the empowering of your Holy Spirit. That you would accomplish everything that you set out to do. That you might be glorified. And that your people might be edified. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This is the first Sunday of Advent and firstly I want to thank Peter thank you for your just your gracious lighting of the candle thank you for the choir that came to our second service that we might celebrate God in the midst of all the stuff that's happening around us I want you to put on your seat belts because I just want to briefly read for you some of the situation that you are already hearing on the news, that you're hearing on Fox News, CNN. We are just surrounded with stressful situations. We are surrounded by the onslaught of killings and and murders and and all kinds of things that are reaping havoc upon our society. I'm just going to read a few of these and... And just put on your seatbelt. US airstrike hit hospital in Afghanistan. Multiple bombings killed nearly 100 people in Turkey's capital. Israelis and Palestinians experienced the worst outbreak of violence in years. Obama announces reversal on US troops in Afghanistan. 5,500 of our U.S. troops will remain in Afghanistan. Hillary Clinton grilled in, on the Benghazi hearing for hours. 224 people aboard a Russian airliner were killed. And who's the blame? ISIS. U.S. sends troops to fight ISIS in Syria. 12 million Syrians have fled their homes. Half are children. Four million Syrians are refugees. Three coordinated attacks by ISIS in Paris, killing 129 people. Folks, all of this has happened within the last two months, the last month. At least 27 are killed in Mali, in a hotel attack. The US issues a worldwide travel alert. As we face the Syrian refugee crisis, 31 US governors say they oppose accepting Syrian refugees. Recently, the video release, it sparks Chicago protests. We all heard about Laquan McDonald, the young man that was shot 16 times. Dozens of protesters with Black Lives Matter Cincinnati demonstrate in solidarity. The Indianapolis Police Department arrest two men recently on the murder of Amanda Blackburn. She was a pregnant mother who was married to a pastor. Planned Parenthood shooting, three killed. There's unrest on certain college campuses because of racial issues. In the midst of all that's going on, in the midst of all the pain and suffering and dislocation, would you think that God would have the audacity? to ask common, ordinary people to respond? How could we ever do something that would make a difference in a world that is so overwhelmingly taken over by calamity? How could we as ordinary people make a difference? you know the world thinks and often operates that only the strong and the and the powerful can make a difference that 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 only those that are heroes and those that are just proficient in, in all that they do and say those are the ones who we deem as successful but i'm here to share with us today that Advent reminds us that you don't have to be a hero. You don't have to be a heroine. That ordinary people can do and make a difference. I want us to see a clip of one of my kids and my favorite movies. And this is a beautiful illustration How someone goes against the grain and uses an ordinary hobbit to go on an amazing, extraordinary, dangerous journey. You must be careful. Mithrandir, why the halfling? I don't know. Saruman believes that it is only a great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I found it is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay, simple acts of kindness and love. Why, Bilbo Beckett's... Because I'm afraid. And it gives me courage. This clip illustrates a powerful biblical and spiritual truth that God chooses ordinary people like you and like me to accomplish extraordinary feats. And the operative phrase is God chooses. When God chooses us and instructs us and informs us, wow, we can turn the world upside down. See, when we look at the Bible and we read scriptures all the way from Genesis to Revelation we see that folks were pretty much minding their own business. They were pretty much plain, ordinary folk. These folks didn't ask to seek out fame or acclaim. Most of them were not looking for or asking even to be used by God. But at the time of their unique encounter with the Creator, they said yes. But I'm going to share just a few of those folks. Noah. You know, Noah who built the ark. You know, we, we, we think, wow, what an amazing man. But Noah was a drunk. Isaac. He was a liar, just like his daddy. Jacob. Trickster. Liar. Moses was a fugitive, running for his life. Bam, runs right into God, a burning bush. Gideon was scared. That great man, of his name is Gideon. He was hiding threshing wheat on the threshing floor when the angel of the Lord shows up. David, just this good old Kentucky boy tending sheep. And here, God chooses him to be king. And then Rahab. Well, we all know what she was about. But Rahab encounters God. In the midst of all that she was doing and what she was about, God shows up. Today, we're going to share... An amazing, ordinary young girl, her name is Mary. We know her as the mother of Jesus. How Mary, young, innocent, most likely naive, but God shows up and changes her world upside down. Would you turn with me to Luke, the first chapter, verses 26-38? And it's page 831 in your pew Bible. And it reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you will call him Jesus. (laughs) He will be great Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Come on. Nothing will be impossible for God. If God asks you to do it, He will give you the means and the strength to accomplish it. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Here we see a little glimpse of the context and of the situation we see this is the angel Gabriel who had stood in the presence of God, who was in the presence of the most holy Creator God. Here he comes to a virgin, and we find out that Mary is from the village of Nazareth, which is a hilly southwest of a hilly, uh, city southwest of Galilee. And what we know about Nazareth is that. Nathaniel, later on in in, in the Bible, says to Jesus, can any good thing come from Nazareth? So it's not a place that is where you would think someone who would bear the Son of God would come from. It's not one of your most popular places. When we see that Mary, she's a virgin, and she's been betrothed, and she hasn't been married. In those days, you had to wait one year in betrothal, like an engagement, before you get married. And many of the scholars believe that Mary was around the age of 13 or 14. Doesn't that give you a different concept of what this young girl was about to face? Can you imagine being 13 years old, a virgin, engaged to be married, and this angel, this angelic being, comes in your presence and says, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Well, Mary's response was, was natural for all of us. Look, Mary says, it says in the word that Mary was greatly troubled. And the Greek word is diaterasso, which means perplexed, confused. And Gabriel counters her response with, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Well, I want us to imagine this young girl and imagine her journey even after she carries our Lord Jesus. What it must have been like And that day and time to be betrothed, to be engaged, yet to show up pregnant. Can you imagine the gossip? Can you imagine being ostracized? And even in that day, Joseph could have come and, and brought a charge against her where she would have been stoned. Let's put ourselves in Mary's place, and we'll do that through a song. My wife is going to come, and I want you to imagine the turmoil of obedience. Have you ever stepped out of the boat? Because you heard God say, come. And then, just like Peter, you get in the midst of the waves and you're like, what have I done? The wind and the waves are blowing. Can you imagine, Mary? God, did you pick the right one? Why do I... Have to go through all this? Why do I have to endure the ridicule? Why do I have to be frightened? Even in the midst of the yes. The scripture says that Mary was great troubled and the angel says do not be afraid there is a a healthy aspect of fear of, of being perplexed when God comes and asks us to do the impossible Sometimes I think if we're not scared, then maybe it's not from God. Just think about it. If we can accomplish all the things that we do based on our profiles, based on our abilities, based on what the Myers-Briggs says I can do, Where's God? We see in Scripture when God comes to ordinary folk like us, He often asks them to do the extraordinary feat. And that even when they're in the midst of doing what God has told them to do, They still have this sense of awe and they have this sense of helplessness. I just wonder sometimes maybe God does that so we might pray a little bit more. Maybe God allows us still to have that uncertainty within ourselves even after we've submitted ourselves and said yes, that we might depend upon him. One of the, and I call it advantages of being overseas, especially in developing countries, and, 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 and you are the church, you are people that love God and, and called by God, is that there's a greater dependency upon God. See, when we get a headache, we can go into the medicine cabinet and get a Advil. But when those in the slums of Uganda get a headache, they have to cry out to God. Maybe in the same way God comes to us here in the West and he asks us to do something impossible. Maybe like a predominantly white church reaching out to an almost all black community. Things where we would feel inadequate, things where we would feel... That we can't do it. Just maybe possibly God could be asking us to do something that we just don't think we can do. Maybe he's asking us that we might fall on our face to pray. God, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to relate. But God, you called us. Church, I believe that scripture teaches us and Mary is a beautiful example and Noah and Isaac and Moses and all those characters of the Bible are beautiful examples of ordinary people in a context of hostility, in a context of oppression, in a context of murder and killing, that God comes and visits them in their ordinary life and he asks them to do an extraordinary thing. And when they say yes, there's still moments of fear, still moments of doubt. Mary pondered those, these things in her heart. I want to warn us, though, of that fear that cripples. See, I believe there's a healthy fear, that type of fear that will cause us to be dependent upon God, that will cause us to pray, that will cause us to need the body. See, there's an amazing aspect of being called to do something, and you can't do it by yourself, and you need the body of Christ to come along with. But then there's that other fear where we don't even try. We're quick to say no to God. I'm going to talk about quickly the fruit of fear. See, fear produces something when it's crippling, when when we don't allow God to come in and take over us and do it for us. Fear can be crippling. And one of the first fruits of fear is doubt. Fear makes us question God's word and his goodness. God can be telling us and revealing to us that we're to make disciples. Of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God is directly telling that to his people. But if the people are afraid. That might put doubt in the hearts that maybe God told us to do it. So a fruit of fear is doubt. Did he really say that? How could God really have told me to step out the boat? Doesn't God know that you sink when you step out the boat? Doesn't he know? It makes you question God's word and his goodness. Number two, discouragement. Fear will make you elevate your challenge and make it bigger than God. Fear will make whatever mountain, whatever giant you are facing, fear will make that giant bigger and larger than God. Fear clouds our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears. And fear will make us discouraged. I can't climb that mountain. I can't beat that addiction I'm just a man. I'm just human. Fear will cause discouragement. Third, fear makes the wrong seem more attractive than the right thing. Now this is a hard one. Because I believe sometimes we might choose a good thing because it's part of our strength and God might be asking us to do another thing. So when we choose a thing that is comfortable for us, even though it's a good thing, it very well might be the wrong thing. Fear will cause us to feel comfortable. Fear will cause us maybe to give money instead of getting involved. Diversion. Fourth, delay. Fear makes us put off doing something so that it never gets done. I think a lot of us can raise our hands on that one. called procrastination. It's called having a dirty closet. I'm going to get to cleaning that closet. I'm going to get to, to putting away those summer clothes. I'm going to get to it. But when you see that the task is so daunting, you're like, oh, no way, not today. Fear causes delay. And lastly, fear causes Defeated, Cause us to feel defeated. Fear makes you feel like you're a failure. So that you don't even try. I want us to imagine what if these characters that we read about in the Bible. Noah, Isaac, Jacob, David, Peter, Paul. What if they said no because they knew that the call was too great what if mary said the risk is too much god please go to someone else fear not god is telling us in this time of advent in this time of welcoming our savior Fear not and this is a message that's not only to us as we're hearing the politicians, as they're promoting fear, as we hear about the refugees and this promotion of fear, as we hear about ISIS and this promoting God in the midst of all the rumors of, of, of even amidst of some of the truth, God is saying do not fear. There used to be an acronym, or still is an acronym, that I used to hear a lot. And uh, it was fear is the evidence, what was it? It's the, the fear of evidence of something appearing real. And, and And so they had defined fear as something that we were just, imagining or or it was a phobia that really didn't exist but church God will cause us to go into something that's real he'll cause us to climb a mountain that's really there but in our own selves we say we cannot as I close I want this Advent to be a reminder that we don't have to live in the crippling vice grip of fear. God is in control. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary work. But I want to give us a warning. Our goal is not the work. Our goal is Him. He will tell us and instruct us what to do. Say yes with obedience. Mary, at the end of the angel's declaration, she says, I am your maidservant. I am submitted to your will. The fruit of our faith is obedience. And sometimes saying yes will cause us to be perplexed, Sometimes will cause us to be confused. But those are the times where we draw near to God. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to us. May we give God the glory by expanding and teaching the message to a hurting world during this Advent season, during the busyness of all the shopping, during all the traffic jams, Fear not. I am with you. I use ordinary people to accomplish my purposes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that we have. That, Lord, if we trust you, you will empower us. Thank you, Lord, that we are not called to be perfect. Lord, thank you, God, that we're not called to be all-powerful. Thank you, God, that you use us in our weakness, God, that you might be manifest strong through us. Thank you, God, that we can walk out on the water. Thank you, God, that we can accept, God, things that you've given us, places to go, people to meet, Families to embrace. And you, O oh God, will equip us. Thank you for College Hill Presbyterian Church. Thank you that you called us to be a light on the hill, an obedient church that will be known as doing great exploits for God, not out of our resources, but out of our devotion and dependence upon you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that we're not 2,000 anymore, but God, we're a 300 that depends and trusts upon you to accomplish the work that you've given us to do. And God, if you said it, you will perform it in us for your glory's sake. Thank you that this city Thank you for this state. Thank you for this country is going to be amazed at a church that is submitted wholly to you, God. And will accomplish great things for your glory. Father, we lift up our body. We lift up Connie Phipps and the death of her husband. Father, during the times, God, where she's all alone, during those times when no one is with her. Father, be her strength. Be her comfort. We pray for all the sick and the shut-in. May your hand be with them. Empower them. Heal them. Restore them. In Jesus' name, amen.